This is a podcast by sciencemag.com. Sciencemag, come out and play. Sciencemag, come out and play. Sciencemag, come out and play. Articles and other sources are directly quoted during the episode. Check the script to find out such quotes. The link to the script is in the episode's description. Oh, hello, dear English-speaking, reading, hearing listener. Welcome back to me at Science Mag, written science uh, M-U-G, the blogger slash podcast slash Twitter and Instagram accounts slash entity behind the unsuccessful e-shop Stuff and Go, written Stuff and Go, on Zazel.com, which tells you science stories while trying to understand, by reading tons of zoology textbooks, if millipedes don't wear shoes because they generally are too broke to be able to afford such a huge or because they prefer flip-flops but they can find a good wholesale dealer to make the order to, or because no millipede wants to be a cobbler given the high risk of dying of a heart attack due to constant overwork, and which talks to you thanks to the voice kidnapped via voodoo wireless trick from a very, very dumb human, and which does all this in English question mark, language that is to proper English what is to something that makes sense. Today I'm gonna tell you a story about human placentas and plastics. Pieces of plastic have been found, for the first time ever, in human placentas. The placentas in question were indeed those of four healthy women who have had smooth pregnancies and deliveries. The discovery is the result of a study published in the Science Journal Environmental International, study made by a group of Italian researchers, aka the Italian Brains, aka the ITBs, led by medical doctor Antonio Ragusa, head of the Department of Human, Mother and Newborn of the San Giovanni Calibita Fatebene Fratelli Hospital in Rome. So, dear listener, the story goes like this. A bunch of researchers in Italy decide to investigate if there's plastic in the placentas of pregnant women. More precisely, Dr. Ragusa and colleagues look for microplastics that are commonly defined as all those plastic particles that are smaller than half a centimeter. Now, dear listener, I know you are a fast thinker, so in your mind you just wondered why is that half a centimeter is the limit for microplastics instead of, I don't know, two millimeters or the thickness of hair of the bear of mush and bear? Well, buddy, here is a fun fact about this. The science community goes with the just-mentioned definition of microplastics since 2008, although there is still be not an international agreement upon it. Anyway, that year the definition is proposed by researchers gathered at a meeting hosted by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the NOAA, the science-driven US agency which mission is, among other things, to conserve and manage coastal and marine ecosystems and resources. And the scientists at that meeting don't come up 
up with that working less than 5 mm size definition has the consequence of a deep hallucinatory state induced by their choice of an after 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 official dinner truth of their game in which the dare was to collectively drink while all upside down by the semi-professional sumo fighters attending at the same location a meeting called the meeting and the art of wasteland maintenance the path of the true warrior drinking a whole big bottle of a famous short drink right before gulping down a fistful of famous candy which name rhymes with uh with uh well something ending with toss no dear listener the scientists at the 2009 OAA meeting proposed the 5 mm upper limit for microplastic not because of hallucinations and even not because of actual science evidence they do it because of the pragmatism since particles of that size were considered more likely to be ingested by animals compared to larger titans now pal back on track let's see how the Italian brains proceed in their study study that by the way is approved by the ethical committee of reference and complies with the code of ethics of the world medical association for experiments done on humans the itbs follow five steps first they design a plastic free protocol to collect the placentas in order to avoid the risks of plastic contamination of such samples the protocol foresees among other things that cotton gloves be used by obstetricians and midwives who help uh, the women in labor moreover only cotton towels are used in the delivery room the Umbilical cords are clamped and cut with metal clippers, and the doctors who then deal with the placentas wear cotton gloves too. The placentas, besides, are put into metal containers, and right after that, they are sectioned into pieces of about 20 to 30 grams, the mean weight being 23.3 grams. Pieces which are finally stored at minus 20 Celsius degrees in bottles made entirely of glass and sealed with metal lids. And about this non plastic stuff, mate, be sure to read the funny story told by Dr. Ragusa himself in the interview he gave us, interview that you will find when we publish it at the bottom of the last part of this post slash episode. The second step followed by the ITBs in their study is to enroll volunteers women who have normal pregnancies and vaginal deliveries, so no C-section performed here. The women to be selected must not have all sorts of health problems such as gastrointestinal diseases, cancer, organ transplantation, HIV or other serious condition. They must be non-smokers and they also must not be drunkards, that is, they have to score less than 10 in the Alcohol Use Disorders Identification Test, a test developed in 1989 and then updated in 1992 by the World Health Organization, the WHO, as a simple method of screening for excessive drinking. The pregnant volunteers, besides, are excluded by the ITB's potential patient's donor list if they follow peculiar diets prescribed for peculiar medical condition four weeks before delivery, have diarrhea or constipation two weeks before delivery, take antibiotics and or other medications that can interfere with the normal job done by the intestine two weeks before delivery, go through invasive or abrasive dental treatments two weeks before delivery, and finally are part of any other clinical study four weeks before delivery. Lastly, the week before delivery, the soon-to-be moms have to answer a question about their diet, omnivorous, vegetarian, vegan, with no diet restriction, and the use of toothpastes and cosmetics containing microplastics or synthetic polymers in general. So, dear listener, to summarize, the women selected by the ITVs are not sick and have healthy lifestyles. The third out of five phases of the Italian Brain study is to actually collect the placentas and, as mentioned above, to section them into pieces with a mean weight of 23.3 grams 
and to store them at minus 20 Celsius degrees in non-plastic containers. This portion of placentas are taken from the maternal side and the fetal side of the placentas and also from the chorionotic membranes, the two membranes, chorion, outer one, ambio, inner one, that form the embryo sac, namely the protective structure which surrounds the fetus. The fourth stage of Dr. Ragusa and colleagues' research is to chemically treat and filtrate the collector samples in order to prepare them for the fifth and final stage of the study, meaning the specimen analysis. Before going on with the final analysis, though, the good smart Italian scientists check for potential plastic contamination of their samples. To do this, the ITBs indeed test three controls, or as they call them, procedural blanks. These three blanks are specimens obtained following the same chemical infiltration procedure, but without placenta samples involved, and with the procedural blanks maintained close to the placentas once during their manipulation. So, dear listener, at this point, the Italian brains have the super-checked material they need ready to go under the analysis which is meant to find out whether such material contains tiny pieces of plastics or not. But how does this analysis work precisely? Does it involve, for instance, a pre-industrial chemical ritual by which a barrel of oil is given a self-awareness and the ability to speak? with, by the way, a surprisingly warm and soothing voice, so to try and sell to its offspring meaning derivative products like plastics in case it detects them nearby, its new book entitled 1001.4 Jokes of Green Energy and some more? <laughs> the answer, pal, after the commercial break. Plastic scare the heck out of you so much that even when you see some people's cheekbones and or chest area, you run away terrified, hysterically howling like a wolf that just discovered the leader and who they opened into its woods. Try our Plastivision 3000. Plastivision 3000 is a wearable jacket-like device with robotic hands that slap you in the face every time you look, touch, drink, eat, and breathe in any kind of plastics. We guarantee you that in less than half an hour you are getting over your phobia and you are also buying a microplastic bits and reach the shooting balm for your red swollen face. Plastivision 3000 is now available also as a belt-like wearable device with robotic boots. The shooting balm is not included. So, dear listener, the fifth and final step of Dr. Ragusa and colleagues' study is to analyze the collected placenta samples to see if they contain microplastics. To do that, our resourceful Italian brains use a Raman Explorer Nano Microspectrometer, which is an instrument able to perform precisely Raman Microspectroscopy. Now, dear listener, Raman Microspectroscopy is not an invasive diagnostic test performed somehow using a misspelled traditional Japanese dish. Nope, buddy, it is indeed a form of spectroscopy. And what's spectroscopy? Besides being a very difficult to pronounce word, well, pal, let's find it out, patiently proceeding by degrees, okay? <laughs> okay. So, before going to the spectroscopy per se, we first have to refresh a bit the concept of electromagnetic radiation. Electromagnetic radiation is energy transmitted at the speed of light through electric and magnetic fields. Basically, it is an electric and magnetic disturbance traveling through space as fast as a 
Superman flying away from DC movies, screenwriters, producers and directors. It is about 300,000 kilometers per second. Besides, the electromagnetic radiation travels in a waveform. So, in other words, the electromagnetic waves have crests and throws similar to those of the ocean waves, with the distance between crests being the wavelength and the number of crests that pass a given point within the second being the wave's frequency. And of course, the shorter the wavelength, the higher the frequency, and vice versa. Moreover, the electromagnetic radiation contains neither mass nor charge, but travels in packets of radiant energy called the quanta or photons. Each photon contains a certain amount of energy, and the different types of electromagnetic radiation are defined by the amount of energy found in the photons. And, dear listener, in case you're wondering, here are the different types of electromagnetic radiation from the less energetic slash low frequency slash long wavelength to the more energetic slash high frequency slash short wavelength. Radio waves, microwaves, infrared light, visible light, ultraviolet light, X-rays, and finally gamma rays. Okay? <laughs> okay. Now, let's go to the actual spectroscopy thing. Spectroscopy is the study of electromagnetic radiation and its production from or its interaction with matter. The above-mentioned Raman spectroscopy, that is around since more than 60 years, by the way, well, it belongs to one of the three main groups among which spectroscopy can be divided into, the vibrational one the other two being electronic spectroscopy and nuclear magnetic resonance NMR spectroscopy. Okay, so vibrational spectroscopy exploits the vibration of nuclei that forms the molecules. Within any molecules, indeed, the atoms vibrate with a few sharply defined frequency, which is proper to that molecule. When a sample is radiated to a beam of instant electromagnetic radiation, the sample absorbs energy at frequencies characteristic to that of the frequency of the vibration of chemical bonds present in the molecules. Now, dear listener, a horse, a sandwich, and a gamma ray burst, enter the bar and order a banana split. Oh, you are still listening then? <laughs> okay, cool, just checking. So, as just mentioned above, Raman spectroscopy is a kind of vibrational spectroscopy. Moreover, it uses the peculiar characteristics of a scattered light. When a beam of light, in the Raman spectroscopy case, that of a laser, which is a source of electromagnetic radiation that is concentrated enough to do the job, when a beam of light smashes into something, well, some of the incoming light ends up scattered. Almost all scattered light stays the same meaning that it retains the same wavelength and frequency and therefore energy. A tiny diffraction of the scattered light, though, gets scattered with a different wavelength, and it is called Raman radiation and, in fact, Raman scattering. And they are called like this after the 1930 Nobel Prize laureate Indian physicist Sir Chandrasekhar Venkata Raman. Sir Raman, indeed, in 1922, finds out something. When atoms and photons interact, the very most of the atoms, after retaining the photon's energy for a ridiculously small amount of time, 1,000 billionth of a second, well, they let the photon go unchanged, meaning with the same energy. Good old smarty smart Sir Raman, though, discovers that about one atom out of a million releases just the part of the incoming photon energy, while keeping for itself some of this energy instead. And guess what, dear listener? The retained energy is characteristic of the molecule or atom retaining it. So, 
Ciao dear listener, let's recap what Raman Spectroscopy is all about. A laser is a sample. This event produces a scattered light. Some of this light is the Raman radiation. This radiation has a different wavelength and therefore frequency than before it in the sample. Thus, it has a different amount of energy. And this difference depends on the very kind of atoms and molecules that heat sample is made of. So, in the end, the difference in frequencies between the original light and the various Raman radiations emitted from the samples is what gets out from the Raman spectrometer in the form of a graphic output and is analyzed and eventually provides the desired data about the various types of atoms and molecules that make up the analyzed sample. Now, the Italian brains use a variant of the Raman spectroscopy. They use, indeed, the Raman microspectroscopy, where instead of employing the standard Raman spectrometer, they use a Raman microspectrometer. And this instrument is what you get when you integrate a Raman spectrometer with an optical microscope, so that the lurking, noisy science people be able to get Raman radiation signals from tiny microscopic samples or from microscopic parts of bigger samples. And what's good about this, you casually asking, dear listener? Well, big zaps are that you need less stuff for the analysis and that some effects can be spotted big times on very delimited areas. Okay, buddy, so let's sum up, okay? A bunch of willful Italian researchers enroll healthy pregnant women, and when such women give smooth births, these researchers, who follow a strict plastic-free protocol designed by themselves, collect the newly moms' placentas. Once the scientists from the boot-shaped country in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea have the placentas, they collect small samples from them and analyze these specimens looking for pieces of plastic smaller than 5 millimeters. And they do it with a cool instrument which works with a laser and on the basis of physics stuff discovered by some early 20th century genius dude from India. And what do the Italian brains eventually find out? Do they find no plastic at all, but a small QR code with a secret manual to assemble the best-selling IKEA crib without risking a stroke or to suffer of a nervous breakdown followed by the burning shrinks and psychiatric drugs of all the money you put together for the newborn, from diapers to braces to five university tuition passing through the almost inevitable the most expensive sport equipment and or music instrument and or I want a pony phase fund? Or do the ITBs actually find some plastic stuck deep down into the mother's belly scores at the very moment to be baby in the making interfaces? <laughs> the answer, dear listener, will be in the next episode. Uh, all right. I have already told you what the researchers find at the beginning of the episode, haven't I? You whoops! <laughs> so much for the suspense. Anyway, dear listener, you'll find the, the intriguing details of the Italian brain's discovery and much more about plastics in the next part. So, pal, that's all for now. Take care, and if you spare some time and feel like doing it, please subscribe and or rate this podcast and or leave a comment on the blog and or take a tour on my stuff and go SNG eShop on Zazzle.com so you can see if there's something you like and or make a donation clicking on the donate button on this dumb blog's homepage. Chats! Science man! Come out and play! Science man! Come out and play! Science mag! Come out and play!
This is a podcast by SayasMaga.com.